Hey. Hi, everybody. We are on. Welcome to the Environmental Heroes podcast. My name's Ryan. My name's Julie. And we're here at the Canberra Environment Centre. We are. And it's not so cold today. I'm hoping that the sun will come out at some point. It will. But, um, oh, it's interesting to talk about the sun because we're talking to a farmer today. Yes. A farmer that lives in Ainsley. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? So Fiona Buning lives on a quarter acre in Ainsley where she has... 50 fruit trees, she told us. Yes. That's yep. a lot of fruit trees. Plus more. She has chickens. She has rabbits. She has beehives. She does. And she grows microgreens, which we will learn is a really nutrient-dense way to get your food. In fact, some of our listeners may have eaten some of Fiona's microherbs because she sells them to restaurants she all does. over Canberra. Yes. So from... Going from a permaculture teacher to a teacher at Marici College to now an urban farmer at Ainsley Urban Farm, Fiona has a wealth of knowledge on how we should grow our food in order to be healthy ourselves and obviously to look after the health of the environment. I, I love this quote that we, um, we found somewhere when we were doing our background research. Fiona believes that growing good food is one of the most positive actions people can do for their own health and to heal the planet. Yeah, I love that. Isn't that amazing? And we say often we're told always you are what you eat, but Fiona's really dug into that and she believes that if we change the way we grow our food, I think she said something like 11 million lives saved in the next 10 years or something. Uh, Amazing, amazing. I just, um, yeah, I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because I think we could have spoken to Fiona, like all of our guests, we could have kept talking for hours and hours and Uh, unpicked all of her answers because there's so much information in there. Yeah, there's a lot of information in here, a lot of stuff to dig into later if you're interested from, because there's a lot of knowledge that Fiona's imparted on us, but just really thinking about where your food comes from, how you grow it yourself and just what you are putting into your body. Yeah. And that everyone can do it. Oh yeah. Just start. It's so easy. Um, we teach lots of people here at the Canberra Environment Centre. Fiona actually runs microgreen classes for us. Um, but yeah, just grow something for yourself. That was something else beautiful that came out of this Fiona's simple words of just grow more plants. Grow more plants. So yeah. let's listen. All right. Fiona Buning on the Environmental Heroes podcast. Local environment heroes Saving the trees and the bees And doing it daily Well, I'm just going to start with the first question. Let's get straight into it this morning. So, Fiona, first question. Has there been a defining moment in your life where you have looked at the world and thought something needs to change now? That's a really good question. I guess in terms of, say, in my own life, the best answer I can give to that is I was teaching at the Steiner School in Canberra and I was driving to work every day, which was about 34 kilometres return. And one day I just realised I was driving past a school on the corner that was only a kilometre from my house and I thought, this is crazy, why don't I work there? And literally the next weekend, there was a job advertised in the paper at Marici for a science teacher. And I applied and I got it. That's amazing. And that's how I ended up running the garden there and teaching the sustainability elective. And so that job really did change the course of my life. And and do you think it was the power of thinking or the power of, like, like that's quite an incredible story. Yeah, it was really amazing. I guess there are those people that say, you know, when you're thinking about something, it can manifest things. 
But then there's also that school of thought which is um, whatever it is, fortune favours the prepared mind or chance favours the prepared mind or something like that. So, yeah, but it was amazing because the job I applied for was a science teaching job. I didn't realise it was going to be the opportunity to have this huge greenhouse and garden all to myself with my students. Wow. We're going to talk more about the sustainability elective in a little bit. But first of all, I want to get back to where you live and the fact this school was so close to where you live. So we've read that you live on a quarter acre block close to the centre of Canberra. When you moved there in 2008, there were two trees on the block, a cherry plum and a sour cherry tree in the back corner. Apparently, though, from what I've heard, it looks very different now. Can you describe to us what your backyard looks like? Okay, so... We have about 54 fruit trees. So the backyard um, in summer, it's just you can't see the neighbours' fences and the houses out the back because of all the foliage on the trees. So, yes, we have planted a lot of trees. And then from the front as well, like there's a lot of trees in the front yard as well. So what's been really interesting about just the visual changes to our block as well has been the temperature changes. So we've noticed at least a five degree difference in the house in summer. It is so much cooler because of all the trees surrounding the house. So yes, it looks really different. So you may have seen those photos from Google Earth where it was literally just a bare block with nothing and the owners had been grazing animals in the backyard. So it was very denuded. And, yeah, now it's just covered in plants. Wow, a quarter acre. Yes. And you also have uh, beehives, is that right? Chickens and other animals? Yes, so we've got – we run between eight and ten chickens and we've got two beehives and we've also got two mini-lot rabbits – that are in a rabbit tractor and we use them to help prepare our garden beds, which has been really successful. So I was really intrigued by this, like rabbits to prepare garden beds. What, like working rabbits? Yes, I know. The vet has said they are the only outdoor rabbits he's seen because most people keep their rabbits inside. So the rabbit thing started off with my daughter who had some money from her grandparents and she bought two mini lot rabbits at a pet shop in Sydney And so we brought them home and they were her pets, but she left to study at university and we were stuck with them. And we thought, well, we're just going to put them to work. So the hutch that they were in is a metre wide and our garden beds are one metre wide. So we can just pop the hutch over the garden bed and the rabbits, they actually eat everything. They even eat cooch roots. So they've turned out to be really great animals. So they dig... Um, and they eat any spent plant material and they eat cooch roots and they also poop. And rabbit poo is a really ideal carbon-nitrogen ratio and composition to actually just be incorporated straight into the soil. It doesn't need to be composted first. So it actually saves us a lot of work. And in fact, when Otto and Onyx died, I really missed the rabbits, which surprised me because rabbits are a bit of a pest. And so my daughter's bought me two new rabbits. So now I have Harold and Rupert. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Um, You also grow microgreens on your block in a greenhouse there. Can you tell us a bit about what microgreens are? Sure. So microgreens are the essentially the seedling 
So with a sprout, you're eating the root and the shoot that comes out of a seed. With a microgreen, you're just eating the shoot that comes out of the seed. So you're basically eating a seedling, but you plant the seeds very densely. So you get a lot of seedlings in a very small amount of space, growing nice and straight and tall to reach the light and you snip them off and eat them. And they're, are they high in nutrients? Is that right? Yes, they actually are. So there's a few reasons for that. The main reason is you're eating all the nutrients that were in the seed are just in that one shoot. So they're very concentrated. Wow, so, so that would be the same if it grew to its full height. Well, I guess like if if a plant grows to its full size, it's still got a lot of nutrients in it. It's just per unit, so per gram or whatever. Um, they're just less concentrated in the adult plant than they are in the seedling. Wow. I love this idea of how you then, like you're growing them and you're supplying them to local restaurants in Canberra. It really is locally grown food. Yes. How did that come about? Well, that's also an interesting story and it's really taken me a while to realise that Marici was actually an incubator for my business because the woman who was running the canteen and restaurant there just said to me one day in 2013, can you grow microgreens? And I thought, sure, I'll try. And she gave me a book. So I read the book and then I rang a seed company and they were happy to send me some free sample seed. So I just actually started a trial in the Marici greenhouse, the purpose being to grow microgreens for the Marici restaurant. And then I met Janet Jeffs, who's the executive chef at the Arboretum, and she was happy to try them. And after she tried them, she was happy to buy them. So that's how it started. And then it's just spread by word of mouth. And then in it was a fundraiser for the school for quite a few years. And then in 2016, it really got too big to be a fundraiser. And it was also quite a lot of work in addition to my teaching. So we built a greenhouse in the backyard and that's when Ainsley Urban Farm was born and it's it's a business now. And you're using um, locally produced soil? Yes. So it's really interesting the whole that's, – that's a whole journey, like what you grow in. But essentially I didn't want to grow hydroponically. I wanted to grow in a really low-impact, sustainable way that – minimised the use of resources and minimised waste. So um, I started off using a seed raising mix that's made in Yass, um, which has been really great. And about a year ago or so, it just started worrying me that I was using all these plastic bags. Like that was kind of the weak link in my whole sustainable model. So now I'm actually using, it's still um, Australian made, but it's actually not from Canberra. It comes from Sydney, but it's an organic compost-based mix that comes in a bulk bag. So the, the benefit is it's in a bulk bag, so I don't have lots of little plastic bags to throw out, but it is coming from a bit further away. But then the other benefit is it's organic. Mm. So yes, I do grow in a, in a soil-based medium, which is great. And so what's the difference or what are the what's the advantages or distinction between that and the shipping container growing facilities that are you know, increasing in popularity? Sure yeah that's a really good question. So I guess there's a really big difference between growing in soil versus growing hydroponically. So if you're growing under lights 
Um, Which is what the shipping containers do. Yeah, essentially like that kind of growing is you're growing in an environment that's very regulated. So you've got lights, you've got probably heating and cooling and generally um, it wouldn't have to be hydroponic but generally those systems are which means the plant's roots somehow or another, there's a few different methods, are bathed in a nutrient solution. So the big difference is that for plants to actually produce all the secondary metabolites, which are the substances in plants that have health benefits, you actually need to have a healthy soil microbiome. And you can't have, at the moment, I can say this, but at the moment there there has not been a way that you can actually achieve that through hydroponics. So in soil, you have microorganisms, fungi and bacteria that work with the soil and the plant roots. It's a symbiotic relationship that feeds the nutrients to the plants and that actually results in the plant being able to produce these health-promoting compounds which are called secondary metabolites. So that's why soil-grown food generally is a lot more nutrient-dense and much better for you than hydroponic produce. And that is actually quite a big issue that has been recognised even in the Eat Lancet report recently. So, sorry, that was a long answer, but that's that's essentially the difference between soil-grown and not soil-grown. And then there's all the other issues to do with resource use. So if you're using lights and heating and cooling, it's a lot more energy intensive than actually using the sun and the sun is what drives photosynthesis. So it's more than adequate. Yeah, we've got all these solutions for the future of food that involve not going in the soil and we have all this depleted soil that we could fix up and use to grow food. It seems whenever we mess with nature, usually we have unintended consequences that come out of it. And I heard you say it really succinctly the other day in a conference that we were both in a call that we were both in, you said people want their food grown in soil. And that really resonated me with me as just a, a beautiful, simple way to put it. Let's stick with the way that nature showed us how to do it. I think so. It's worked for a long time and it can solve a lot of problems. I think it's the way forward. Except we've got a problem with soil, right? Don't we don't, uh, is there an, um, isn't there a possibility that we're running out of good quality soil and we have a lot of degraded soil that we need to replenish and regenerate and fix up? Sure. So it is pretty much agreed if you look at the literature that people say we've got about 60 harvests left because of soil loss and it certainly is a huge problem. But we all eat and so we all generate food waste or scraps and organic matter is the number one thing we can add to soil it actually solves all the problems like it will help flocculate a clay soil it will help hold water in a sandy soil it will add nutrients it feeds the microbes so Elaine Ingham and Jill Clapperton who are experts in soil microbiome kind of area They just say, um, you know, feed them and they will come. It's like your own gut. If you eat good food, your gut microbiome will be good. So we definitely can work with soil. And I 100% think it's the way forward. Um, There's been so many studies done as well about how we can sequester carbon through using regenerative practices. So why not? Like we just need to get on and do it. 
Yeah, definitely. Because part of the reason that we have this problem with the soil is because of the farming methods that we've used in the past, right? We've used chemicals to make things more efficient so we can grow more food, but that's stripped the very nutrients out of the soil that we need to be healthy. Exactly. Yeah. And yep. so um, I'm guessing that your farm is an organic farm, your urban farm? Yes, yes. We're not certified, but all the practices we use are organic. And it's kind of interesting because... In organics, you can use certain um, substances. For example, you are allowed to use uh, certain products that will kill an insect pest. But what we've found is really it's better not to use anything that kills another living thing because it's part of the whole food chain. And really where it all starts is if your plants are healthy – essentially they don't get pests and diseases. So that's really the level that we're working on on our property is just to make sure our plants are nutritionally really healthy. Um, So working with the soil and the plants to do that and then you really don't get pests and diseases. So then you don't even have to worry. Does that work for possums? Oh. (laughs) 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 I don't think so. Fortunately, we don't have a possum problem at our place, but a lot of people do. Yes, the big animals are a bit of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, for people growing at home, um, how can they begin to replicate what you're doing so that they don't reach for the bottle of uh, pesticide or herbicide to control the problem? Yeah. Okay, so I think the first thing is to, as I said before, compost and add organic matter to your soil and there are some really easy soil amendments that you can use which are organic because what you want to be providing to your soil is nutrients in an available form not soluble so you don't want to use like um, chemically based fertilizers but if you use ones that are in an organic form, the nutrients are available to all the microbes which make it available to the plants. So that's actually a good way to start. So that is using products like Organic Extra, um, which is an organic pelleted chicken manure that has trace elements added and supplements such as blood and bone. So they're really great things like compost and those two things to add to your soil. And then if you do get a pest, really the best thing is to observe and work out what it is, learn about it. Some things do need to be controlled straight away. For example, if your tomatoes have tomato russet mite, if you don't get on top of it, your plants will die. But other things, if you just wait, the natural predators sometimes are just a step away from coming in and taking control. I love that idea of watching and waiting and observing. I think that's... um it just gives me such a nice image of standing out in a garden full of green leaves and thinking and watching. Is the um, greenhouse your favourite place to be or is it inside your actual house? Well, I actually really love the greenhouse because you can garden inside when the weather's bad outside. So that's what I really love about it. Um, and I love it that it's just very natural like it is a greenhouse so it is protected cropping but it's really nice just still working with the seasons um and so I notice differences in the plants throughout the year depending on the the quality and amount of sunlight and the humidity and things like that but I also do love working in the garden Mm. yeah we've run some you've run some courses here for us on growing microgreens in Canberra um 
how simple is it for people to get started? Because it sounds like you've hit a real space saving kind of thing. And that's part of something we talk about in urban areas is not everyone even has a backyard um, or a balcony. There's things that you could grow on your windowsill that are quite nutrient dense in these microgreens. How can people get started in growing some microgreens of their own? Yeah, absolutely. So Definitely you can grow them inside. So the easiest things to start with are things that have a big seed. So things like sunflowers, peas, chickpeas, radish seed um, and other things that are really easy to grow are things in the broccoli family. So the, the tatsoys and the broccolis and so on. Basically you just need a growing medium. Um, so that can be a seed raising mix or compost um, and then you need to plant the seeds fairly densely and then lightly cover them. Some people just cover them not necessarily with the the soil or the growing medium but say with a cloth or a sheet of newspaper or something but it's good to keep them covered until they germinate and then once the seeds germinate they do actually need the sun. So it will be harder to do inside in winter just because it's colder and there's not as much sun. Um, but you can certainly try and then there's lots of little ways you can do it outside as well. So even if you have a little cold frame for raising seedlings, which you can easily make out of an old window, kind of over a box type structure, that will be like a mini greenhouse. And so if it's if it's warmer and there's a bit more light, things will grow faster. Mm, yeah, with our long winters and short summers, anything you can do to extend the season really helps in Canberra, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And there's some really good um, YouTube videos about growing microgreens. Like there's a lot out there that can give you the show and tell. Mm. Yeah. So I thought we should go back to, you've mentioned Marici College a few times, Marici College Kitchen Garden, which won the ACT Keep Australia Beautiful Sustainable Cities Award in 2012 and the ACT Smart School Sustainable School of the Year in 2019. Um, Part of the teaching, um, you've spoken about how you had a sustainable education or elective running alongside the teaching garden. Can you talk to us about what what you were teaching the kids? Sure. So um, I was teaching an elective to year nine and ten students so they could choose to do it. And it was project-based learning. So we had a theory component where we did units on food, energy and transport and life cycle analysis, so a consumer unit, and we worked in the garden. So we had about three hours a week, and generally in term one, we spent almost every lesson in the garden, and in term four, we spent most lessons in the garden. So we did our theory units in in term two and four. So it was a really great opportunity to get students outside and actually teach them how to grow vegetables. So I was lucky enough to be mentored by Joyce Wilkie, and so we grew the vegetables in market garden style, I call it. And the idea of that was that if students, when they left school, thought, I want to grow vegetables or become an urban farmer or a farmer, they actually had a taste of how you grow things on a slightly bigger scale than in your backyard garden. And then through the project-based learning, they actually were able to study environmental issues in depth. So say when we did energy, they actually did an energy audit of their house which meant they could identify what were the big energy users and make changes. And I guess what was very reassuring for me was getting feedback from parents saying, yes, they've been running around telling us to, you know, turn this off and turn that off. Um, So what we did in the classroom did actually translate into behaviour changes at home, which was really satisfying. 
Mm, that's incredible. And mm. I'd just like to go back to this garden because I don't know if you've seen it, Julie, but it was – was it a basketball court? It's a, it's a very big garden. Yes, so an old basketball court. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's beautiful, yeah. Um, it's very rare, I would think, for a school to have a garden that big and to, for kids to have the opportunity to learn about farming or market gardening as a career path. Yes, it, it was really lucky having such a large garden and it was fully enclosed. So it meant we didn't have problems with birds and possums, which was amazing. And the size of the fencing was such that the small birds that eat insects that you want them to eat could fly in and out but the big birds that destroy things couldn't get in Mm. so yeah look it it was really wonderful to uh work in such a such a lovely space and grow so much food and at peak production we could produce about fifteen thousand dollars worth of produce a year which is pretty significant for a school garden so yeah it was and and where did that produce go so it went into the school canteen or into the um, teaching of food the food preparation part yes so all the food went in the school has a canteen and a restaurant so all the food just got used in the school and got served up to students in the canteen and to patrons in the restaurant and then the food waste, if there was any, I assume that then went back into the compost. And yes. you just had a completely circular system going. Yeah, and that was in fact the reason for having a garden in the first place is um, they wanted to have a fresh food canteen and they didn't want to be throwing away food waste. So they figured we need a garden because then the compost goes into the garden. So yeah, it's a really lovely closed loop, which again is a wonderful living example for the students to work with. Absolutely. How um, how receptive are te- were the teenagers that you were teaching? How receptive are they to... Yes, I mean, I never had this kind of information growing up at school um, and I wish I did. Like, do you think this has been transformational for them or this has been a real light bulb moment where they've you know they've got they've got an opportunity to control what it is they're eating and growing and knowing about this in more detail as opposed to sitting back going oh no the world is dire yeah i think it's a really positive response to all the negative things that are happening with our earth I've always found it very positive, so I found it was very positive for the students. What I found interesting was the range of students choosing the elective. So I got really academic students that loved it because it was a break from all the intensity of the classroom. And I also had a lot of students with um, specific learning needs who really liked it. And I had students who generally found it difficult to achieve academically in the classroom And those students did really, really well. And so they got a sense of achievement, which was really good for their own self-esteem and mental health. And I also had the um, opportunity one year to work one-on-one with a student with some serious mental health issues. And it was a lifesaver for her to have a project in the garden and have a really beautiful space that she could go and work in. So I would love to see something like this rolled out in every school because there's just so many benefits. Like it gives them tools for living, it connects them with nature, it's good for their mental health, it gets them growing food and tasting food that they might not have tasted before. So I think this is um, this is a theme that has come up time and time again and we commented last week in particular on this, that the link, that, that amazing link that being close to nature brings people and the joy and the happiness and all those benefits like the mental health benefits the physical benefits that we perhaps have forgotten about or we don't touch on as much and so I think that that story is just so 
powerful and needs to be remembered and acknowledged and acted upon. And it's interesting because there is scientific evidence for this whole gardening makes you feel great. They've actually discovered that the putting your hands in dirt actually causes the release of substances like serotonin in your brain, which is one of the feel-good neurotransmitters. So there's actually scientific evidence that getting your hands dirty um, and working in the soil is really good for your brain. Mm. Yeah, I find that fascinating. What more inspiration do you need than that? (laughs) And and you've described um, an unmet demand for locally grown food. Um, is that just in the Canberra region or is that Australia-wide or um, where's the gap here? Okay, so I think definitely in Canberra there's an unmet demand for locally grown food because I supply between 25 and 30 restaurants a week with microgreens. I am frequently asked by people, you know, are you selling any of the veggies that you grow? Because we grow a lot of vegetables for our own consumption. And, you know, I just don't have enough to sell. And so... I just people would love restaurants and chefs love to have local produce and in my experience they really like working with local producers and I would say this unmet demand if you look at the urban farming scene and also the emergence of a lot of young people going into small-scale farming as a vocation I think globally there is an unmet demand and if you read the Eat Lancet report Um, certainly and other reports, the nutritional quality of our food has been declining since the 70s or so. So we really need to be eating healthy, nutrient-dense food. So, um, yeah, I would would say the more the better. And so you were actually awarded a Churchill Fellowship to investigate this issue of urban farm ventures with vocational pathways for aspiring food growers – Um, Where's this project up to or tell us about the Churchill Fellowship? Okay, so the thing that inspired me to apply for the fellowship was that through teaching the sustainability elective at Marici, I could see there was nowhere for the students to go with this. So they would always ask me at the end of year 10, like, where can we go? What can we do next? And there was not a subject in year 11 and 12 for them to do. Um, And there wasn't a defined pathway for them if they wanted to become a food grower because being a small-scale market gardener or farmer it's not horticulture and it's not agriculture so it's a very kind of specific skill set that you need so I just became aware that there was this lack of training and then the next thing is well how do you buy the land like where do you do it like is it affordable um so that's what inspired me to apply for the Churchill Fellowship because there are places in um, the US and Canada and the UK called farm incubators, which are places where people go to learn the skills to become a farmer. And then once they've completed the training, they actually have land available at the incubator for those aspiring growers to start their own enterprise in a supported environment with mentoring for a certain number of years. And so that kind of really appealed to me. Like I would absolutely love to set up an urban farm incubator in Australia. I think it would be incredible. So that's why I applied for the fellowship and I was absolutely ecstatic (laughs) to receive one. So the fellowship was awarded last year, so 2020. And because of COVID, none of us have been able to travel. 
But I am an optimist, so I'm hoping that next year, maybe from the middle of next year, I can travel. And the plan is to go and see these places and then bring all that knowledge back and just share it as widely as possible. And I would be happy to work with absolutely anyone on a project to set up urban farm incubators to train aspiring food growers and to provide meaningful work for people. Like imagine that in our cities. Like I have this vision in Canberra. Imagine if one of those huge blocks on Northbourne Avenue was actually an urban farm. Yeah. And people (laughs) could just like get there on their bike or on public transport and they could work and they could learn and they could be growing good food. Like it would be incredible. It'd be cool, right, if the tram, <laughs> there was a tram stop and the tram stop was Evan Farm. It would be yeah. really awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That so. makes so much sense. We have to bring so much food yes. to us in Canberra. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah, we do. So, yeah, it would be amazing. So I'm really hanging on to my vision. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Well, I think maybe... Maybe it's time to then to move to the final set of questions because I feel your vision has really prompted us to get into um, the five questions that we ask every interviewee that comes on. So shall I ask? Please do. Okay, I'm going to ask the first one. Congratulations. You have just been elected the president of the world. What is the one change you try to implement first? Okay, so I would actually ban all the odds the herbicides, Uh the pesticides, the fungicides and I would convert all agriculture to regenerative organic. So then everyone could transform to being on a sustainable healthy diet and this would save about 11 million adult lives a year. Wow. And it would sequester huge amounts of carbon dioxide and reduce emissions and keep us within the planetary boundaries. Wow. Okay, so done. <laughs> yeah, love to hear someone with a plan. <laughs> um, well, um, well, let's lead on to that into it's 2030. Yes. Describe the world you see around you. Okay, it's green and it's really quiet. So the reason it's quiet is almost all the vehicles are electric and the reason it's green is there are lots of tiny little urban forests, on the little blocks that you see in your suburb, on road verges. There's a huge olive grove down the middle of the Monaro and people can get most of their fresh food locally and, yeah, it's just green and quiet. Lovely. I like your 2030. Yeah. (laughs) Now, who are your environmental heroes? I think you must have a few. Well, that's such a great question. I really think the first person that comes to my mind is Bob Brown. Yeah. Like I just think he is incredible. He's been in it for the long haul. He headed that campaign to save the Franklin. I mean, he's just yeah. amazing. What a yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's lots of people's environmental hero. I yeah. Think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what's your hot tip for our listeners for being more environmentally aware and more environmentally friendly? I just grow plants. Yep. Yeah, they use carbon dioxide, they produce food, they're green. Yeah. Just grow plants, so even simple. indoor plants, just grow plants. Grow plants, I like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And our last question then, what's your final slogan, quote, mantra or key message that you have that you want to leave our listeners with? Okay, so this is not mine but I've carried it with me for a very long time. So 
we used to live next door to David Holmgren and Sue Dennett. And Sue Dennett always used to say, spend your money on what you want to see more of in the world. And I just love that. Mm. It's just so sensible, so practical, so deep and can have such a profound impact. So spend your money on what you want to see more of in the world. That's beautiful. That is fantastic. This has been an absolute treat. Thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us today. I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. I feel I've learnt a lot also. Thanks, Julie. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, thank you. And also, you've mentioned that um, you'd like to work with people who want to work with you. Where can people get in touch with you? Okay, so they can send me an email at info at ainsleyurbanfarm.com.au And if that's too difficult to remember, if you just look up Ainsley Urban Farm or even Google my name, Fiona Buning, you'll find some links there to um, to get in touch. That'd be great. Wonderful. Awesome. Local environment, heroes, saving the trees and the bees and doing it daily.